Maybe I can um, begin just by asking you a question. How much time do you spend at work or in your studies or just keeping home going? It's probably, it's probably a good part of your waking day, isn't it? What about your sleeping day? Okay, how much time, how many hours do you spend in bed? Eight? More? Less? Okay, so if you were to add the hours you spend at work with the hours you spend in bed, that is a huge chunk of your day, isn't it? And so it is no surprise then that Proverbs, which is a book, as Mark said, that aims to teach us how to live life with skill, has loads to say about both of those, both about your work and about your bed. Okay, but it does it by introducing us to the person I think is probably the great comic character of the Bible, the sluggard. Okay, even his name sounds lazy, doesn't it? I mean, I live with the name Slack. Okay, imagine living with the name sluggard. Because if, as Proverbs teaches us, the alternative to wisdom is folly, then according to Proverbs, one pathway to folly's house is signposted sloth, laziness. And so Proverbs holds up to us the sluggard as someone we can learn from. Proverbs 24, I passed by the field of the sluggard, then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. In other words, Mr. Lazy Bones himself should be an inspiration to us all. You do not want to be like him. Okay, but talk about preaching to the choir. Okay, I, you know, when it, I think, maybe I'm wrong, maybe some of us are exceptions, but I would think that when it comes to work and to sleep, the risk of you being a sluggard is about as high as the risk of me winning the prize for the best haircut in the room. Now, probably most of us, probably most of you do not need to learn how to work harder. You probably need, need to learn how to put your work down, how to rest, how to stop. But I think that is why what Proverbs has to say is so helpful, because it tells us that the hard thing, that difficult thing, that you might just be avoiding doing may not be your work at all. And the sluggard might just be the most hard-working person who you know. Okay, so we're going to look at four things. Just to prove I'm not a sluggard and just do three things all the time. Okay, the four things. We're going to look at the sluggard's nature, the sluggard's hallmarks, the sluggard's pain, and the sluggard's cure. Okay, firstly then, the sluggard's nature. Okay, look at chapter 24, verses 13 and 31. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Okay, now, has this man inherited the vineyard? 
this vineyard he's got. You know, somebody else years ago maybe had planted it, but now it's his and he's let it go to ruin. Is that the situation? Or was the vineyard, however long ago, was it his work? He planted it. Only now he can't be bothered to maintain it. Has he always been lazy or has he become lazy? Okay, we're not told, are we? Either way, he's neglected it. He has failed to put the effort in that's required to nurture it. And what should be as neat and ordered as any of those vineyards you have walked along, down at Le Cot or in the Lavo, in comparison to this, the Sluggard's Vineyard is an overgrown mess. Now, is Proverbs telling you that so that you can hone and improve your gardening skills? No. This is about how someone's life can come to resemble this field. That if we don't apply ourselves to life, life can overwhelm us and decay can set in. And Proverbs 6 tells us why. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and, gives her, and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Now, I was once told that I had the attention span of a gnat. Okay, but to be, com but to be compared unfavorably to an ant, okay, things are not going well, are they? Okay, when an ant is doing better than you, okay, things are not good. But think about it, the ant is a self-starter. The ant does not need mum or dad or a supervisor or a boss or your husband or your wife on their back constantly telling them what to do. They just do it by instinct. What's instinctive for the sluggard? His comfort, not work. How long will you lie there, O oh sluggard? Well, for as long as I can get away with it. For as long as people will leave me alone. For as long as I can do the minimum this semester and pass. And I'll do it, whatever it is, when I feel like it. The problem is, he never does feel like it. Okay, so the sluggard won't do the hard thing, the thing he doesn't want to do. And the problem is... When you have made that a habit of life, okay, when you have been laying in bed for years and your moral muscles have wasted, everything's hard to do. Everything disturbs your comfort. So the sluggard won't have that conversation, that needed conversation, because, man, that would be so awkward. He won't take that insult on the chin and just leave it because that would take self-control. He won't welcome the newcomer at church, because that would put him out. And so Proverbs 26, 14, my favorite, one of my favorites, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Okay, so it's not just that the sluggard likes her comfort, she's positively hinged to it. 
Okay, but what's interesting about doors is that there can be lots of activity, can't there? I mean, a door can be opening and closing. It can be going back and forth. There can be loads of people coming and going. There may even be lots of squeaking noises, drawing attention to the door. But there's never any forward progress. And the same is true for the sluggard. There may be lots of activity, there may be lots of noise, but there's no growth. There's no going forward because there's no doing the hard thing. The sluggard just lives for now. Proverbs 20 verse 4. The sluggard does not plough in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Now why doesn't he plough? Why doesn't he plough in autumn? Because it's autumn and it's cold out there. And I've, I've just bought in the harvest from this year. I don't need to worry about next year. Yeah, I've got plenty of food for now. Okay, compare that to the ant. 6 verse 8. The ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest because her eye is also on the future. But the sluggard just lives for now because YOLO, you only live once. And it's this present moment, it's my present comfort, it's this great experience that I am having now, it's that that matters. But it is like a sleeping pill to the sluggard. Okay, so interestingly, I think, being skilled at life is not about doing the least amount of work to pass a semester. It is not getting permission so that you can work remotely and go and experience all those great Instagram sites. It is not even planning your investments so you can retire early and go and play golf. It is doing that terribly unsexy thing of getting out of bed in the morning, rolling up your sleeves and doing the work today that prepares and provides for tomorrow. And yet, if you look, the sluggard is not just compared unfavorably with the diligent, hard-working person, though he is. In chapter 15, 19, he's contrasted with the upright. And in chapter 21, verse 26, with the righteous. And in chapter 24, verse 30, he's called a man lacking sense. Okay, so it's not, he's not just idle about work. He's lazy about godliness, about growing in righteousness. You see, the hard truth is that you and I can be workaholics. We can spend hours at the office or the university library. We can run on a few hours sleep a day and still be a sluggard about things that matter, like love, love for God love for our neighbour, for friends and for family. We can be lazy about sacrifice and service. And our work, maybe even our homes, can be as ordered and productive as a Swiss vineyard. But what about our hearts? What about the vineyard and the garden of our souls? Okay, might they resemble an overgrown bramble patch? We may not be idle in the office or the lab, 
But what about in our pursuit of virtue? What about our growth in character and godliness? I mean, just imagine someone who stays working late at the office rather than going home and helping put the kids to bed. Could it possibly be that working late at the office is easier? Or which is harder, getting to grips with that new project at work or learning how to understand and pursue your wife or your husband or a potential wife or potential husband? And when it comes to your relationship with God, which is easier, sitting in front of Netflix or trying to work out what on earth is Paul talking about in his letter to the Romans? You see, Proverbs 26.15 says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. And all of the young guys here are going, that is never a problem for me. Okay, finishing eating, I never have any, but I will always make sure I have enough food intake. Okay, sure, but what about feeding your soul? Could there just be sluggardly tendencies there? Do you hit the snooze button rather than get up early to pray? Do you scroll through the news websites on your phone rather than pick up your Bible and read? Is a night in way more attractive than the hard work of building relationships in a home group or a Bible study? Okay, so it is not just a matter of our work, but of our hearts. So if that's the case, how can we spot sluggardly tendencies in our hearts? Second point then, the sluggard's hallmarks. Okay, firstly, the sluggard always has an excuse. Okay, Proverbs 26, 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets, which you have got to admit, as an excuse for staying in bed is pretty good, okay? <laughs> Now, the problem is the sluggard always has a reason why he can't do what he should do. Hey, I'm just not a morning person. Listen, with colleagues like mine or a boss like mine, you wouldn't be doing too well at work either. Hey, look, you don't know what it's like to live with her or with him. And whether it's work or the spiritual disciplines, just be honest with yourself. Do you have a habit of rationalising why it's just not possible to do what you should do. Okay, secondly, I think there's a kind of cowardice to the sluggard. Proverbs 22, 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, because if an excuse is worth using once, it is worth using twice. Okay, there's a lion outside, I should be killed in the streets. And when sloth gets a hold of your heart, you can start to imagine difficulties, can't you? As one commentator puts it, every shadow is a monster. Every challenge is a threat. Every molehill becomes a mountain, a mountain that's way too big to climb. I couldn't possibly do that. Okay, but think about how that unwillingness to do the hard work Maybe think about the unwillingness to do the hard work of deep and clear thinking robs you of moral courage. 
You see, if you just swallow our current cultural platitudes of, hey, you do you, you can have your truth and I can have mine, if you swallow that, then there is no right with a capital R to die defending. There's no wrong to die opposing. All hills worth dying on are leveled in a cultural mush of personal opinions and individual taste. And the problem is there really is a lion in the street. It's just not the one the sluggard thinks. The Apostle Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. But the person who won't do the hard work of thinking, who is not putting in the effort to grow in faith, can forget that he has an enemy. We can forget that there's a battle, a battle that just might take courage to stand up and fight. Thirdly, the sluggard is unteachable, Proverbs 26, 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Okay, so there's not just a laziness about labor, there's a laziness about listening, about evaluating the viewpoints or the critiques of others. Because the sluggard is, I, hey, he's convinced he's right. And let's face it, it is a lot less work to dismiss people as those right-wing nutjobs or those woke progressives than to carefully examine what they might just have to teach us. So you can be a workaholic, but are you doing the harder work of being teachable and correctable? Fourthly, the sluggard doesn't start things. Proverbs 6, verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Doesn't start things, but neither does he finish things. Proverbs 12, 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Okay, so the sluggard may go hunting. Okay, he may even shoot the deer. He may bag it. He may get the wild boar. He may even skin it but it never quite makes it to the table. He doesn't quite ever quite get round to actually cooking it. He starts, but he doesn't finish. Okay, so let me ask you, how is that to-do list of yours going? Have you got any unfinished DIY projects around the home? You know, if your, if your wife or your husband or your kids, your friends, whatever, are they asking you to do something, you're never quite getting to it? Okay, no exaggeration, I literally, literally, literally have a pile of timber taking up one wall of our bedroom because I started a project about three months ago and haven't quite got round to finishing it. Okay, but while I have a pile of timber, I also have a pile of excuses, okay, just like any good sluggard. Well, what about those resolutions to bring some order to your spiritual life? or to spend time in prayer, or to read that good book? Do you find yourself starting, but not finishing? Okay, fifthly, the sluggard is restless. Proverbs 13, verse 4. 
The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Okay, so it's not that the sluggard doesn't dream. It's not that the sluggard doesn't have ambitions. It's that he won't do the work required to see those dreams fulfilled. And that leaves him feeling perpetually dissatisfied and unfulfilled. Now compare that to the energy of the righteous person who spends herself for others. Proverbs 21, 25 to 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sluggard is just thinking about self, focused on self, what I want. The righteous person is looking out, what can I give? Okay, but notice again where Proverbs locates the desires of the sluggard. 13 verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. So it's not just physical cravings, physical desires. It's not just physical comfort or rest or wealth or freedom. There are also desires of the soul for a sense of worth and significance, for a sense of purpose, for a desire to sense God's presence or God's love. But those desires remain unfulfilled because personal growth, even personal spiritual growth, it requires effort. The effort of retuning our hearts to what God says about us in his word. And am I willing to make that effort? Years ago, I was told of someone, I think it was in our uh, student group, who said, I'll go to church on Sunday morning if God wakes me up in the morning. Okay, what do you think Proverbs would say to that? Okay, Proverbs would probably say, no, you should go to church because you set the alarm and get yourself up in the morning. The sluggard may have desires to grow, but his soul withers while the soul of the diligent flourishes, Proverbs says. Okay, so if we recognize any of those tendencies as being true for us, why should we want to change? Why should we want to put in the effort to change? Okay, third point then, the sluggard's pain. Proverbs 6 again. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A little, a little, a little. A habit of making seemingly small and insignificant decisions to put things off, put off doing the right thing, the hard thing, but it has massive consequences. They may be financial poverty, but it could just as well be spiritual or moral poverty. And the crash, the moral failure, the deconstruction of faith, it may be as sudden as an armed robbery but the reality is that the sluggard has been putting off doing the right thing, the hard thing, for years. And life has been frittered away a little, a little, a little. 
But then look at Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labour. Okay, does that mean, this is probably something that Ger Lostein would tell you, okay, with that, does that mean, hey, if you just work hard enough, you will get to the top of the tree. God wants you to be the head and not the tail. And if you don't, you might just end up in a Siberian labour camp. Is that what that means? No. It's that diligence and laziness lead to different ends. And that habit of putting off doing the right thing, the hard thing, or that unwillingness to grow in self-discipline, it just becomes enslaving. And while diligence at work or growth in character and love for God may lead to increasing responsibility, maybe even leadership, if you avoid those things, you are going to find yourself constantly being told what to do by others. And that's deeply ironic, isn't it? And it's ironic because one of the things a lazy person craves is freedom. Freedom from other people telling me what to do all the time. But laziness confines us to a lifetime of being prodded. Okay, but it's not just that he gets told what to do. It's, what, it's that what he has to do always feels so hard to do. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Okay, now that, that doesn't mean that the upright person never encounters difficulties with, in life. It's that if you compare the life of the upright person to walking along a well-paved path, the sluggards is like trying to hack your way through a jungle. And everything just feels like I'm having to fight through a thorn bush. Relationships seem a tangled mess. That application form for the new job, boy, it's impossible to complete. My supervisor, he just never gives me enough time. And as for the Bible, I mean, no one could understand that. Why should I even try? Okay, but that leaves you vulnerable. Look again at the sluggard's vineyard, chapter 24. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Now, why does a vineyard need a wall? Why, why put a wall around a vineyard? Well, probably to keep thieves and wild animals out, but also to set a boundary. Hey, this is my property. But the person who is not applying themselves to work or the state of their soul is also likely not protecting their heart. They drop their guard. They, they let those small sins, those acceptable sins, go and grow. They think taking steps to avoid tempting situations, man, that's just unrealistic. That's just pious. That's, that's closed-minded. Oh, it's too demanding. I couldn't possibly do that. And over time, the protective wall crumbles until the thief or the prowling lion can walk right in. And yet, it's not just a sluggard himself who is experiencing pain. Like if we don't if we don't address sluggardly tendencies, they can become pretty irritating for others. 
Have you ever cooked out on a fire up in the Jura or up in the Alps? You know, cooked a sausage, you know, built a bonfire, cooked a, cooked a sausage on it. Okay, but wherever you stand, who does the smoke come for? It always comes for you, doesn't it? Doesn't matter where you go around the bonfire, the, the smoke is always... How much do you like having smoke in your eyes? That is pretty unpleasant. Okay, Proverbs 10 verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Okay, like that team member of yours who doesn't pull their weight. Or the person you delegate something to who lets you down. Or you ask someone to give a presentation, but it becomes clear they haven't done their homework. And you find yourself gritting your teeth. Or as Proverbs would put it, drinking vinegar. And Proverbs' point is you do not want to be that person. You don't want to be that person to others, but you also don't want to be that person for yourself. You don't want to experience the pain or the inner poverty that comes with laziness, either at work or in love for God and love for others. So how can you avoid it? How, if you recognise these tendencies, how can you avoid it? How can your heart be put right? Okay, last point then. The sluggard's cure. I'm going to give you three. Number one, look at nature. Proverbs 6, verse 6 again. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. So why don't we just do it? Just do it. Go, go for a walk in nature and just look around you. I mean, I know it's winter, so they're not really doing it at the moment. But you know, when spring comes, look at the birds building their nests. Look at the beavers building their dams. Look how, look how, the, look how the crows, they're not lazy, are they? Birds and beavers? Like, look how the crows hassle and dive-bomb the hawks to protect their young. They're not cowards. Look how the worms turn over the earth or the bees make their honey. And think to yourself, if they are all working away according to their nature, what should I be doing according to mine? J.P. Moreland, the American philosopher, says that is the crucial question of today. Do you, as a human being, have a nature? Because it's that nature that tells you how you will thrive. And he goes on to say, a dog has a nature. Chain it in a cage, feed it scraps, never pet it, and that dog will never thrive. But feed the dog and take it on walks and throw it sticks and scratch behind its ears and it will be as happy as Larry. So what's your nature? What should you be doing to make you thrive? Well, the Bible says you do have a nature. You are made in the image of God. You are an image bearer of the sovereign king. So go out in the world and bring order out of chaos. He's the creator. And you're his image bearer. So go out and make and create. And he's a creator of beauty. So go and create beautiful art and beautiful music and beautiful websites. And you're the image bearer of the God who is a warrior. So go out there and fight for justice. And he's the God who is the God of love. And you're his image bearer. 
So invest yourself in deep, lasting, loving, lifelong, covenant relationships. And he is God, and you are not. So go glorify him, and not yourself. As Paul writes, what are we? We are his workmanship, that's our nature, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So church, let's go and do it. Let's go and walk in those good works. Secondly, look at life. Back to the vineyard, Proverbs 24. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. So I would say, look, take time to reflect on the lives of the people around you, who you know, close or far, who have shown real fruitfulness in life or those who haven't. And just ponder why, maybe ask them. It's one of the things Sue and, Sue and I do, one of the things we do is we have sat down and asked people that we admire, how have you done it? You know, what are your disciplines like, your spiritual disciplines, your, your daily disciplines? How, how did you raise your kids? How, how, did you, how did you deal with this kind of a situation? Or pick up a, pick up a biography of a great saint or you know, a, a good leader, an effective leader, not just to enjoy the story, but to learn from their habits. And when a friend is honest enough to share their failures with you, the pain they're experiencing, let their pain be your teacher as well as theirs. Okay, but thirdly, look to Jesus. You see, when it comes to work, maybe writing that paper or changing that diaper or giving that feedback or just doing the washing up, okay, you need a reason why diligence in that task matters. You need an answer to the question, what's the point? And when it comes to your inner life, you need a reason why making the effort to grow in love for God and in love for others matters. And listen, Christianity, the gospel, gives you both. Firstly, there's Jesus' example. Because he said of himself that he was always about his father's business. Jesus never needed prodding. He knew how to rest, but he knew how to get up and get back in the fight. And he models for us a life of prayer and service and work. So if you recognize some of these sluggardly tendencies, maybe just pick up a gospel and read through it. Read through the the, the life of Jesus and see how he does it. How does he work and rest? So firstly, there's his example. Then there's his teaching, like the parable of the talents, how God has given you gifts. So don't bury them in the ground or under the duvet. Use them, multiply them, because a reward lies ahead for the good and faithful servant who does that. Then there's the parable of the sheep and the goats, how the unsexy work of caring for the poor and the needy, the sick and the suffering, is work done to Jesus. Then there's the parable of the sower, 
how the thorns and the brambles of comfort and ease strangle the fruitfulness out of us. So if you recognise any of these tendencies, again, pick up a gospel and study Jesus' parables and hear what Jesus has to say about work and rest and the desires of our hearts and the treasure that is greater than anything else you might be working for. But finally, there's Jesus' own work. Because on the cross, Jesus took upon himself all of our selfish desires, all of our missed opportunities, all those times when we have dropped our guard, all our laziness in whatever form, and he did the work of paying for it all. That's why he said, it is finished. The work is done. He did it. So that in him, we can find true rest rather than the hard labor in this life or the endless torment in the one to come that moral or physical laziness deserves. Plus, it is his resurrection that gives our work meaning. See, in 1 Corinthians 15, as we read together right at the beginning, Paul sets out all of the implications of Christ's resurrection. And then at the end, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why should you be steadfast and courageous for truth or for justice? Because it might be a lot easier at the moment just to cave in and go with the flow. Why should you do the seemingly trivial, insignificant things of life, like changing diapers or writing papers, and do that with diligence? Because Jesus' resurrection tells you, you do not only live once. And resurrection day is coming, and resurrection day will be reward day. So the way you live and love and work really does matter. So, look diligently at what Jesus has done for you and let it fill your heart with love for him and then pray and read his word and meet with his people even if you have to set the alarm and get yourself out of bed to go and do it. And whatever you do, in word or deed, let's do it to his glory And as we do, those sluggardly tendencies might just begin to grow a bit smaller. Let's pray.